Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. When she was a young lawyer, Khalud al-Faqi walked into the office of the Palestinian Chief Justice and announced she wanted to join the bench. He laughed at her, but just a few years later, Khalud became the first judge to be appointed to the Middle East Sharia law, Islamic law. The judge offers a unique portrait of Judge Khalud in her brave journey as a lawyer, her tireless fight for justice for women, and her drop-in visits with clients, friends, and family. With unparalleled access to the courts, the judge presents an unfolding verite legal drama with rare insight into Islamic law and gender justice. And that is the backstory behind this wonderful documentary. It's called The Judge, and we're fortunate to have with us today the director, Erica Cohn. Erica, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much for having me. And that last part that I mentioned in the introduction, this access that you gained to this system of justice, which is completely out of the sight and out of the mind of, I assume, most of the Western world is remarkable. I'm curious how you came to know Khalud and and your sort of decision to move forward in doing a documentary about her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I was on shooting hiatus with my last film, In Football We Trust. And I had received a Rotary Ambassadorial Film Scholarship in Israel-Palestine to teach film and to continue my postgraduate research in Islamic feminism at Hebrew University. And one day, a dear friend and colleague invited me to an Islamic reform meeting happening at the Palestinian Authority headquarters in Ramallah, which is the capital of the West Bank. And I walked into this room and was seated at this table full of men in tarbushes, the hats that uh, judges and and sheikhs wear. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking at, you know, pictures of Yasser Arafat throughout the years and maps of Palestine. And all of a sudden, Judge Khulud walked in and everyone stood to greet her. And she had this unbelievable presence in the room. I mean, she really captivated me and had kind of this energy that, that really radiated throughout uh, the conference room. And as I uh, listened to her speak about how Palestine's legal challenges disproportionately affect women and how they're talking about raising the marriage age and issues of domestic violence and and polygamy, I, I found myself even more drawn to her. You know, I wanted to know who is this person? What is her story? And after the meeting, we had a chance to to be introduced and she told me, that she used to be a lawyer working uh, with women who had been survivors of domestic violence and felt like she could best catalyze change by becoming a judge in the Sharia courts, which are the courts that deal with family issues, and worked her way through the Sharia law to find um, the proof that women could be judges. Uh, And I was fascinated with her story, and I told her I was a filmmaker, and she invited me into her courtroom and, you know, there, there are those moments as filmmakers where we really pinch ourselves and, and are so privileged to be in these amazing worlds and these amazing kind of gatherings. And, and I, as I watched Judge Hulud adjudicate, you know, 40 to 60 cases a day and acted as part judge, part marital therapist, part counselor, part lawyer um, with such ease, 
I, I felt like this is, you know, an incredible woman and I would love to provide a platform for her story to be told. And when I um, asked her, you know, how she would feel about doing a film and um, told her I felt like her experiences could um, both provide a, a more nuanced understanding of, of Sharia law for both Western and um, uh, Muslim audiences, as well as you know, provide imagery of strong Muslim women, which we typically don't get to see in the Western world. She said, you know, Erica, this is amazing. I've actually been looking for ways to exponentially reach people with my story. I want to inspire women and girls to take leadership roles in their communities, despite whatever cultural norms or traditions might exist. And so uh, together we started this journey in 2012, and, and here we are today. It's an amazing story. She is quite compelling. She really is truly, she has that sort of bearing of someone who is, you feel the presence of someone who, who has a deep understanding of people, as well as the mm. ability to kind of parse out what matters and what doesn't. And it comes across not yeah. only in, in her in her, in her, the, her uh, actions as a judge, but also just in her life, which we're able to see into uh, that window into her personal life and and her her own story uh, outside of being the judge. It's just she's a remarkable person. I I can, can imagine that feeling that you had when when you when this sort of you know became apparent that she was willing to move forward with something like like a documentary. I can imagine you must have been very. Very happy to have that uh, have that moment with her, but um, well, yeah, yeah. And how and how you you know convey a feeling? I mean, the, the feeling that I got, and you know, by being around Judge Khulud and then also in witnessing her adjudicate, there. How, how do you can capture a feeling and essence of someone, which is you know a very tangible, like immersive experience onto a two dimensional screen? I think that that was probably one of the greatest challenges is how to capture the spirit, the essence of her, and convey that to audiences. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that you had access to her in the courtroom and her, as, she, yeah. as she walked through these steps. And I'm going to sort of take a, an editorial license here to say, you know, I, I said earlier we have virtually no idea how Sharia law operates. We have a – I'll let me amend that to say we have a very – generally in the West, certainly in America – have a very dark impression of it, and there certainly are issues, and we can get into you know sort of the the the, the biases within within the culture, but and within it seems even within the judicial system as well. But her ability to articulate what the, her reading is and her explanation for why it seems to go awry at times is not the law; it's the misinterpretation of the law. Which I thought was a just a, exactly yeah, yes, and so so refreshing to see that it's so refreshing to understand. Now, certainly, having said that, there are certainly issues that are still in in play that that uh, are are feeding into to uh, some real real structural problems within the within the law. But I let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here in describing mm-hmm. what happens. But it's uh, yeah that that bearing that ability to to uh, see her in the courtroom. Uh, really, really lends so much power to to the film. Um, I'm just curious about how how that sort of process of negotiating your your um, your presence in the courtroom how how did that take place for you? Yeah, so the head of the courts is called the chief justice, um, 
uh, or in Arabic, the Qadi al-Qudha, the judges of judges. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as you see in the film, this position changed three times. And yeah. so each time we would have to go ask uh, for renewed access when a new chief justice was appointed. And I would literally camp out waiting for, for a meeting with him um, for days and, and in the latter years, weeks. Um, and would describe the process and, you know, what we had been doing in previous years. And, you know, our, our cinematographer, Amber Ferris, in, the, uh, in some of the last shoots were, um, uh, she, was, she was filming sunsets and, you know, B-roll of, of feet walking through the streets and jewelry shops. And I remember her calling saying, you know, how's the process going? How, clo- how close are we to being finished here? Yeah. <laughs> and do we have access? You know, there's only so many sunsets that I can choose. But I really feel um, that, you know, women are almost always underestimated in everything that we do. And in this case, it really benefited me. I I feel like uh, me having a small camera, me being kind of an unobtrusive presence um, was one of the reasons that I was able to gain access. And um, once we were in the courtroom, you know, as as people would come in and out, uh, I would ask them, are they comfortable being filmed? It's for a documentary and explain the process very briefly. Um, as you know, Judge Khulud has so many cases a day and I didn't want to um, be obtrusive in that way. Uh, and sometimes people said, yes, go ahead and film everything. And sometimes people said, no, but you can record my audio or yeah. you, know, yeah. you can film my hand and feet. And so the challenge really became, how do you visually demonstrate what's happening in a, in a courtroom that is you know, eight by 10 maybe. And um, in the cases where we did have full access to film, uh, seated, in, seated in a corner where um, I was standing up and sitting down at different parts of, the, of each case because when people swear on the Quran, you have to stand and sit at certain times. And so, you know, it's not the most ideal circumstances for filming. We had a GoPro in one end of the, uh, of the court and batteries would die, you know, after five, five, ten minutes of, of shooting 4K. And there's no way that you can interrupt a case to change batteries or to switch uh, right. positions or angles. Right. So um, we, in some cases, we did recreations. In other cases, we um, had kind of obscure uh, visuals to demonstrate what was happening. Well, it, it, it looks great. You did a great job of capturing that. And I, and I know that they're mentioned in the notes that there is some some measure of reenactment but it's it i'm you know staying true to to the events so that that's always a challenge and that that has become kind of the question for documentary filmmakers now is it's sort of weaving together the story how 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 do you make sure that you capture the truth mm-hmm. uh, when you don't always have yeah. access to you know to the kind of this sort of on in the moment sort of uh, thing but it comes off beautifully it really does it it uh, I didn't feel I, I would be hard pressed to tell you where and when the any sort of uh, anything other than the actual events were taking place in the film, and it just looks beautiful. It really seamless. Thank you. Yeah. Now I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Erica Cohn. She is the director of the film called It Is Called The Judge, and it's a story of a woman who um, who has become was the first uh, woman to be appointed uh, a judge in Sharia law. Uh, and the courts, access to the courtroom, access to her life, was that another challenge or was that something that, uh, well, it sounds like she was ready for it. Any any sort of 
challenges in terms of kind of highlighting that part of her her her, her life? Judge Corlude really welcomed me and our entire team into her life, yeah. and her family was was very excited about the project and. You know, it's um, it's always a dream as a filmmaker to have a character who is very cooperative mm-hmm. and really wants the film to be told. And you know, in some ways, she acted um, like a uh, a field producer in, in helping us find contact. I would tell her, you know, I really want to speak with this person. How do I get in touch with them? And then she'd have like you know two or three degrees of separation um, in order to get in touch with like Hanan Ashrawi, for example, who's you know, a leader in the women's movement in Palestine and, and very much an international celebrity. So she was helpful in, in gaining access to those interviews, yeah. as well as, you know, people like Hashem Adin, who, um, though completely opposes um, Judge Khulu's position, uh, respects her as, as, as an individual. So um, right, right. it was amazing to have that kind of... Um, to have that kind of level of support from from a character in the film, right? And I want to I want to talk about her mentor, the 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 the, mm. the, the judge who sort uh, is that a, is that my characterizing that correctly? Would it be fair to call the uh, the judge who really appointed her who helped make her the first judge? I definitely think of him as a champion, and, and Judge Khulud really admires him. I don't know if I would call him a mentor, right? Judge Khulud's... Um, I don't think had the, like, a mentor in the way that she mentors um, young women and future women judges. Right. She really was the, you know, the pathfinder, the person who broke the glass ceiling. And, of course, when she walked in for the first time to Sheikh Taisir Samimi, the, uh, the judge who appointed her, right. um, and she told him that she wanted to be a judge, he laughed at her. Right. And I think that that's so similar to a lot of experiences that, that women have around the world when they um, talk about breaking a glass ceiling or their or their dreams or their future achievements. Um, we're not always taken seriously. Yeah, it, I wasn't sure. You're right because as I as I asked that question, I thought, no, I don't think he really was a mentor, but he he saw some either utility and or something about, I mean, her ability as well. I guess it's a combination to uh, to yeah. to help her along but that but even he who is certainly did the right thing even he expresses things that to the western ear and to I'm sure to women of this area of this region of the world still find um appalling it is this idea that you can marry three or four women the idea that you that sort of the the uh, the uh, way in which people uh, I mean, marriages, divorce happens at the behest of the man, or there are all kinds of different things that are addressed in the film. And with, without rambling about it, if there's a way for you to sort of focus on what you think are the most important issues that her judgeship represents a at least a, some pushback from. So help us walk us through some of the real challenges that are facing not only Judge Khalud, but also women of the Middle East and certainly... Um, continues to be a challenge. Yeah, I think the the biggest issue is that people don't know that they have rights in the Sharia. There you go. And this is a this is a universal issue when when people are not empowered by the law, um, don't know their rights according to the law, how can we advocate for ourselves? How can we be knowledgeable? How can we ensure that, that we have um, you know, the our 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 full 
spectrum of human rights. And so, you know, until the law actually reflects the population in which it's supposed to serve by having people who um, are interpreting the law and applying new laws, um, until until those uh, people in power actually reflect the population in which they're supposed to serve, there, there will never be um, equality. There will never be justice. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for, for Judge Khulud, you know, it, as you mentioned in the beginning of, of this interview, and I think as, as something that I really discovered early on in the process, was that it's not the Sharia law itself, it's not the law, it's the way that the law is interpreted right. and the way that the law is applied. And a lot of that goes to who is doing that. Um, so Judge Khulud in her presence um, of, as, as a woman in this, in this position, she provides an opportunity for women to feel more comfortable um, talking about some of the most intimate aspects of their life, domestic violence, sexual assault, which is a, a bit taboo to, to talk with a man about that. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, of course, you know, women do have do have rights. It's just educating them about those rights and being, um, as Khulud says, an advocate. We have to be our own advocates. There's, there's no one else who's going to, um, who, take the, who will take this on for us. We have to advocate for our rights. You know what I thought of when when she, when they were talking when she was talking about um, the her, the interpretation of Sharia law that she was familiar with to other women, it reminded me of uh, a story a historic fact that I learned many years ago, and that is until the invention of the Gutenberg press, and and the first book that was printed on the Gutenberg press was the Bible. Prior to that. Laymen were forbidden to read the Bible, therefore giving all of the power to the the priests and the and the clergy. Mm. And it wasn't until yeah. people started reading the Bible on their own, people who were non-clergy, did it start that perceptions and and interest in how it was being interpreted became very important and led to a lot of reformations, mm. a lot of things. And I look at this in very similar terms. I think that just what the judge is describing it isn't that the law itself is is in innately inherently you know regressive or whatever and i'm sure right. that but as as women who have been left out of the process become more and more familiar with it and there will be reforms i undoubtedly not only in the interpretation but in the actual practices of of the law uh, of mm. Sharia, Sharia and the interpretation of the Quran. I do. I mean, I'm just sort of riffing here, but this we found. We know that in history, when people are given information, things tend to be interpreted differently or change for, and usually for the better. So um, that I just thought that reminded me of that that particular aspect of our of Western history. Right Not until we started yeah, being able absolutely. to read read the bible did things actually start to change yeah. in that regard. so uh, well um in the few minutes i've got left with you i, I want first of all i'd like to ask the uh, the reaction uh that judge Khalud uh, had has had to seeing um the judge the film she came to our festival premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival and she had seen the film before it was released publicly um loved it uh, is very, very proud of this film and is blown away by audience reactions. I think that that's, um, you know, the film in achieving her goal of reaching young women and girls around around the world. 
um, has has exceeded beyond her expectations. And, you know, at, at TIFF, people would stop her in the streets and, and ask for her, her autograph. And I think that that was a totally um, unreal, very very abstract experience for her mm-hmm. um but she she's uh she she loves this project and is so is so proud of it well she should be i mean i would hope she is because it is it's a wonderful window into her life and where and where she is such a solid person and just a just i wanted to spend more time with her to be honest with you um and and the fact that without giving too much away progress is being made and i guess my final question is has there been pushback um in reaction to the film in reaction to her increasing notoriety how is she if so has she dealing with it yeah i think that there's always you know a little bit of pushback um she has received so much international attention and so much um acclaim that there are definitely people who feel like um, she shouldn't have gotten this kind of attention and um, mm-hmm. or aren't proud of the fact that she's getting this kind of attention but I think that that's similar in any community um, she's doing she's doing very well she's writing she's she's getting ready to release a book and um, hopefully we'll be screening the film later this year in Palestine as well as uh, Judge Khalud will be joining us later this year for a few screenings in, in the U.S. Fantastic. Well, and another thing about the film, it's wonderful to see the people, the Palestinian people portrayed in normal ways, everyday ways, life, uh, you know, raising families, dealing with things that they, they that everyone deals with. I, I'm so I'm so grateful to see a perspective, a window into their world that isn't about bomb throwing and all the rest of it. The, the, that it's in fact, it's a it is they seek what we all seek, which is uh, a stable family and a, and a place to work and a place to raise their family. And um, that's good to see. Yeah. Uh, that was a very nice byproduct yeah, of the it film. Was really, it was really my goal to transport audiences into Palestinian culture and to experience a Palestine that we typically don't get to see. Yeah. And so from every little detail down to like the insect noises and the color treatment of the film and yes. the soundscape and the horns of the cars, you know, I wanted it to feel like an immersive experience because so many of us will never have the opportunity to be there and to experience Palestinian culture, which is so warm and so beautiful. Yeah, it is. It truly is. Well, the film is called The Judge. The uh, filmmaker is Erica Cohn. It's screening this week at the Limley Monica, and you should check it out, uh, get out to see it. It's a, it's just terrific, and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, kids. I mean, everybody seems to care about that now, but it's, <laughs> it is something, something that people do pay attention to. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy for you, Erica. Your films, including some of your previous films in Football We Trust and others that you have uh, produced, have been wonderful, remarkable films. And uh, uh, thank you so much for being a part of Film School. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.